Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day and welcome to The Call. Ten stocks picked by you two experts one hour. It is Wednesday, the 18th of October. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have you with us and our two experts on the show today. Andrew Violent from DP Wealth Advisory and Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Welcome to both of you. Join, I'm blessed. Henry's actually in the studio with me. I know. It's a rare occasion, Andrew. It is. It is a rare occasion. Might be a while before we get Andrew here because uh, we can't uh, prize you from... uh, well, God's country, can we? All right. Probably help if we could hear you. But uh, anyway, we'll get back to that in just a moment. Uh, Henry, okay, take a look at the markets at the moment. Those geopolitical risks. Um, look, it's FUD is back, isn't it? Fear, uncertainty, doubt, and those geopolitical risks, certainly what we're seeing out of the Middle East at the moment, only adding to that. Um, what do you need to consider? It, is it going to have a bearing on equity markets in particular. Because um, so, you know, when that broke out, there was slight movement then, but overall, investors seem to shake it off. I know, it's kind of weird. I wrote an article this morning in the newsletter about risk and complacency, because we do seem to have this complacency. When, it, when all the trouble broke out, when uh, we had the, uh, the Gaza issues first start come up, um, we went to playbook number one. You know, you buy gold, you buy oil, uh, you sell some travel stocks and you go back into safe haven assets like treasuries. So we've seen that. But I think you know this is going to go on for a lot longer. This is a major, major risk uh, to the global economy. If we do see this spread beyond Gaza, beyond that particular region, um, it, it could get really messy uh, to a great extent. And Well, particularly if you take a look at the oil market, the potential ramifications there if it does widen. Well, it, it's just got potential to just get, I mean, apart from the humanitarian tragedy and all the other tragedies around uh, what's happening at the moment, I, th- I think this, the market is really underestimating the potential for this one. Um, you know, when you, when you look upon higher rates for longer, mm. this, well, this is now a, a potential longer war coupled with the Ukraine-Russia war as well. The, the, and the problems that are kind of stacking up, yet the market, you know, the VIX is still 17 yeah. in the US. Um, it just seems that we've kind of detached a little bit at the moment from uh, some of these risks. So, so have you adjusted your portfolio as a result? I've, I've got a lot of cash still at the moment. Right. Um, and we're still looking really for a trend to emerge in our market. You know, you, especially in small caps, you get one day up mm-hmm. and the next day it reverses and down. And it just, there seems to be a lot of day trading and volatility. So I'm not convinced uh, that we've established any kind of safe trend and for me at the yeah. moment with with what's happening macro what's happening in the bond market the us um house etc 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 i just feel that it's kind of good to be on the sidelines a little bit mm. um, happy to be in some gold stocks happy to be in some oil stocks obvious plays um, but generally i think you know we're still we've bounced off 6900 um, but we haven't really pushed on with it really convincingly agm's 
throwing another spanner in yeah, it, US absolutely. results as well. Yeah. Andrew, hopefully we got you um, just questioning, I guess, whether you're adjusting your portfolio as a result of what we're seeing, particularly at macro level. Yeah, it certainly is um, challenging, and I don't mean that to be clever. I mean, certainly the human tragedy in, in Gaza is just beyond belief, frankly. Uh, never mind, of course, what uh, occurred in Israel as well. It's just horrible, horrible stuff. But to the point of view of markets, because that's why we're here, um, certainly we're sort of continuing to advocate that dollar cost averaging strategy whereby, you know, you have a certain sum of money and you pick a date and every day. So, you know, my date is the 15th or the 15th of the month. Just put a little bit more money aside, but certainly keeping uh, a fair bit of cash uh, in the piggy bank as well, because remembering this is the second time in 20 years that you're actually getting a better income return than you are a dividend return on your portfolio. Certainly nothing wrong with leaving some cash up your sleeve as well, but uh, my learned friend is right. There's plenty of moving parts at the moment and you should be very cautious in the short term. Yep. All right. Yeah. Well, let's uh, get into uh, some stock considerations then. The first five we're going to be taking a look at is Alloy Steel, Vanek S&P ASX Midcap ETF, the Global X Robo Global Robotics and Automation ETF, Silex Systems and James Bay Minerals. Now, our stock of the day is Setire, the online luxury goods retailer. It's seen its gross revenue almost double the year on year to more than $167 million, with management reporting sales revenue growth up 80% month to date. Uh, it uh, shares climbing higher as a result after it reported a 92% surge in first quarter sales. Driven by broad-based momentum across established and emerging markets, it's delivered adjusted earnings of nearly $10 million for the quarter. The chief executive, Dean Mintz, saying, uh, said, I continues to rapidly increase penetration within the large global personal luxury goods market during the period he said we experienced broad-based momentum across the established and emerging markets. Henry, Setai, <laughs> interesting to see what's going on with luxury goods at the moment because, you know, take uh, the global leader, perhaps LVMH, yep. has actually suffered uh, more recently. And, of course, we know what's going on with discretionary spending given the cost of living pressures. Yeah, it's, um, I ought to say, I've never got this one particularly right. I've always questioned $900 T-shirts, why anybody in their right mind would want to buy a $900 T-shirt, but obviously people do. Um, and Satire have once again produced some pretty good results. The market's been a little bit ho-hum, I must admit, regarding these results, given you know, the, the big percentage numbers, and we always see some big percentage numbers. My, my problem with this one, I guess, is that um, you know, things can change very quickly for these guys. If, if the big luxury brands say, you know what, we're no longer going to supply you with these goods, um, then that can change quite quickly for them in terms of their offerings. But having said that, you look at something like Farfetch, which is a much bigger uh, company that does pretty much the same thing. Mm. And you look at some of the valuations there. When I last did it, uh, Satire doesn't look massively expensive compared to Farfetch. And you would think maybe at some time in the future, it would make sense for the two of them to combine forces uh, and create one luxury portal uh, where uh, consumers can really uh, focus on. I mean, this, this is very much geared to the US. Uh, that is predominantly where their revenue comes from. The US retail side continues to astound economists and analysts. You know, we saw it last night once again, uh, retail sales up, pushing the bond market yields way higher. So, um, you know, the, the business model still works. Uh, the numbers are big in terms of percentages, but I can't really get that excited. Um, it's a hold from me at the moment. 
Um, I think the market reaction today probably says it all. And volumes are low, and we have seen Dean Mintz um, sell some shares yep. um, not that long ago. I can't remember when, but it wasn't that long ago. So um, clearly, you know, there's a price. Um, I think at 260 odd, it's probably a hold here. Okay. Andrew, thoughts? Yeah, back in August when we spoke about this last, we identified that Mr Min's holding a significant holding was a significant issue and I note he paid attention to Henry and I because about two days later there was a uh, a block put through, so thank you for listening to us, I do appreciate that. <laughs> um, but um, as a consequence, that's probably taken one of my concerns away and again, we like management holding shares but when they hold too many shares, it's almost an impediment to corporate activity because it's you know, the, the volume going through it's, is hard. I think to all the points that Henry spoke about consumers potentially being under pressure, rising oil prices, albeit their customers are probably more well, well healed. But again, as you spoke about, Andrew, that LVMH share price down 23% over the last six months. So there's certainly some trouble brewing in that sort of high-end space. If you look at the actual numbers, they've got about a 59% return on equity, which is outstanding, but their profit margin, as you would expect with a retailer, is only about 3.6%. So there's not a lot of wiggle room there, and if they're left holding inventory and things go bad, then there's potentially some real issues there. So it's 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 an okay business, um, and as I said, ROE stands up, but it's a hold at these levels. From yep, okay, that is a double hold. Uh, for satire. All right, let's get into the stocks as picked by you. Uh, the first one, Biz Alloy Steel, and uh, it uh, manufactures uh, tempered high tensile uh, alloy steel plates. Um, in fact, uh, Jad wants to know about this. He's saying it jumped to $2.30 last month, then fell uh, after nine cents after a dividend payout, followed by a positive. Um, announced of, well, in fact, a fully frank special dividend of uh, 10 and a half cents to be distributed in late November last week. Is the company heading in the right direction? He asked for growth in 2324. Uh, and I note actually the share price having dropped is now back up at that level. It's uh, $2.27 today. Henry, let's start with you then. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I don't mind this one. It's especially uh, it's a specialist steel product provider. The problem I guess I have is that the volumes, you know, we've only got 18,000 odd traded today. It has, um, it has sort of bottomed at 190, pushed back up to 230, having got there before. Uh, the results were all pretty good, to be honest. Um, and it does, I guess, benefit from um, sentiment in the iron ore space. Uh, I know it's not an iron ore producer, but steel, uh, when we see iron ore push up, that tends to push because of a greater demand for steel in China, etc., and that feeds through to the biz alloy story as well. So certainly don't mind this one, but it is pretty thin. Uh, maybe at sort of 227, 230, I'd probably be looking maybe to lock in some profits as uh, things have been on a bit of a tear recently. But certainly if you can get it around two bucks, 210, it's probably not a bad long-term hold. As I said, the results were pretty good. It is geared to the, the steel market, even if it is at the speciality sort of end of the sector, but uh, it is a bit thin. That is the trouble. Mm. Uh, only $110 million market cap. So bear that in mind. It's, it's not huge. It does obviously have leverage, uh, but the result's pretty good. Special dividends, always good. Mm. Shareholders love that. Okay, so a hold, but potentially I'd, trimmed. I'd, I'd be trimming at these sorts of levels on, on yep. the basis that you know you only need one bad day in the market and they're back down to $2, $2.10, and in yep. which case you can buy them back. 
Andrew, do you agree? With Henry, are you serious? Um, no, it's... <laughs> Oh, sorry, is it, more, it was specifically to this company. Sorry, I thought it was more Brent. Do, do I agree no, with come on, you guys are on the same page. I know that. Carry on. Yeah, uh, as you were. Um, look, uh, I, I don't mind this one, but again, a couple of little amber flashing lights. One is in which the chair owns around 16% of the company. So just like we were talking about before, um, we like management and uh, directors to have some ownership, but when they've got substantial amounts, that can actually be a bit of a negative. So to Henry's point, um, daily average turnover over the last three months is only $51,000 a day. So in the context of a $100, $110 million company, that's not great. So that sort of speaks to its lack of institutional appeal. You've also got a relative new um, CEO there and again subject to how they're feeling about the world potentially you know they may want to just sort of be changing the way business is done so that's a, a bit of an amber light and I guess probably the final thing is that forecast earnings per share is actually meant to fall by about 15% next year so even though you're only being asked to pay eight times earnings relatively cheap that sort of diminishing EPS is a bit of a concern so at 2.20, 2.30, it's probably a bit exy. I note that Henry's sort of nominated 2 to 2.10. Andrew, the miserable looking at the chart, would actually think about 180, 190 is probably peak buying, but certainly not 2.30. So it's a hold at best. Yeah, I thought you were going to say a sell then. Yeah. No, 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 no. We, 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 only say, we only say sells to special companies. This is not a special company. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just keep holding it. <laughs> All right, let's uh, get into something a little more, well, more in your territory, I guess, then, Andrew. Uh, we're going into ETFs, and um, it's the Vanek S&P ASX mid-cap ETF, uh, ticket code MVE, uh, picked by Paul. Uh, why would you want this in your portfolio, Andrew? Why would you want it in your portfolio, Andrew? That is, uh, that, is a, that is an excellent question. And normally with an ETF, I could give you plenty of reasons, but I have to say uh, I'm actually struggling a little bit with this one. Um, not that there's anything wrong with it. I want to be very clear from the outset. Uh, really what it's trying to do is give you that mid-cap exposure. So basically it sort of focuses on the top 100 companies in Australia, but then it's screening out the top 50 from that. So really, you're sort of looking at simplistically, you know, 51 through company number 51 through 100. Uh, you've got names like WiseTech, CarSales.com, um, Independence Gold, IGO, Ampol, SolPat. So these are not terrible businesses by any stretch of imagination. Uh, and you're giving yourself exposure to materials about 22%. Interestingly, though, because you're screening out that top 50, you're therefore really screening back your financials as well. Uh, you're back to just 15% financials. And on the drop tomorrow, I'll be talking a little bit more about why you might potentially want to be looking at increasing your financials exposure. So 1050 mm. tomorrow for the drop on that. Um, but the performance has been okay. It's up about 9% per annum for the last 12 months. And over the last uh, five years, it's up 8% per annum. But you might remember, Andrew, I sort of work on a barbell approach. So at one end of the barbell, you've sort of got your passive. So you might have like your ASX 200 ETF, like an STW, an IOZ, an A200, something like that. And then at the other end of the barbell, something that's sort of a little bit different. So in our world, something a little bit different might be an equal weight ETF like MVW, or we've spoken previously about small companies are under pressure, so like an ISO or something like that. But I can't really, in my mind, see why you potentially have this one in there, that MVE. So 
Again, if you're holding it, nothing wrong with it, but, you know, is it high on my hit list? No, it's sort of towards the, the bottom of the list. I think there's probably better ways to play the Aussie market than this. Okay, that's a no then, no, that's, Henry. That's a no. I just got to say, how good is the Whisperer? How good is he? He has just covered it perfectly. Um, at the end of the day, you know, this is a mid-cap ETF, does what it says on the tin. And Andrew's right uh, in terms of it doesn't really have representation market weight to the financials, which can be uh, a bit of an issue. Um, but it does exactly what it says. But it does have, you know, mid-caps. Wise Tech, is that, would you call that a mid-cap? Real estate, REA, car sales? I mean, in my mind, they're, they're kind of still... Well, I guess they're emerging large caps, aren't they? Well, they, they, they seem to be, you know, WiseTech is not as large a cap as it was. Um, right. But, um, you know, to me, mid-caps is, is probably further down the scale. Yeah. So this is kind of uh, almost first tier. I mean, these, these so are So you're buying stocks. mediocrity, is that what you're saying? No, you're not buying mediocrity at all. You're, just, <laughs> you're, you're buying the index without the banks. Yeah. Uh, and without the likes of the BHPs and the Rios and the Woodside to some extent. So mm. so you are taking a slightly different view, but I'm not sure you're taking enough of a contrary view to justify why you would do it. You're better off just buying an index ETF, to my mind, and getting the full exposure to metals and the full exposure to financials, which have been yep. uh, particularly good, especially financials. Banks have been doing very well recently. So, mm. um, you know, if you've got it, hold it. There's nothing wrong with it, as Andrew yep. says. But it is, to my mind, you're not getting all the bang for your buck that you should do by investing in an index. You're kind of, it's it's kind of one and a half tier. It's not second tier stocks, but they're just you know just below. They're not Premier League. Fair enough. Yep. Okay. Uh, shortchanging yourself, perhaps, in that regard. Now, listen, we do have a bonus for you here because uh, Malcolm has asked Andrew, what's an ETF that can provide maximum capital to gains when inflation and bond yields start to drop? Have you got something in mind, Andrew? Well, that was an easy one. Thanks, Malcolm. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, so if, if we sort of uh, unpack Malcolm's question, and in particular that second part where he talks about, you know, and again, hopefully Malcolm's right, relating to interest rates peaking and then coming back off, and that's a function of inflation peaking and coming back off, then that is going to be highly supportive of companies that are more technology focused because as we know a lot of these tech companies tend to be more dcf or discounted cash flow valued rather than the actual profit that they're just putting off at the moment so i know you will find this hard to believe but you know the number one choice would be qual qual uh, and not because, again, Qual, um, you know, it's not a bad investment at all. In fact, as you know, it's sort of the, the one ETF to rule them all, in particular because of that strong return on equity focus that uh, companies that have got steady to increasing earning, earnings and or steady to decreasing debt. I mean, that's the universe in which it's operating in. But in particular, because around 40% of its dividends, sorry, 40% of its um, ownership rather is in that tech space, it should actually do even better. So certainly the first one is qual, and as we just saw before, the other one to think about is moat. Yep. So if you're worried about tech, you're going, Andrew, that's all really interesting, but I don't want to hold an ETF that's 40% tech, then something to think about would be moat. And again, Moat is from Morningstar. So Morningstar's analysts have basically had a look at it and said, these are the attributes of Moat-like businesses, as you would think, you know, sort of the big barriers to entry. They hold around 40 different companies, around 2.5% in each. It's only about 15% tech. So it's far less tech-focused. Uh, and it's got, I mean, it's still got some tech in there, 
Interestingly, though, Andrew, it's heavy in healthcare. So again, you know, healthcare is under a lot of pressure at the moment because of that Ozimec uh, and the, the weight loss piece. But you know, if there was some um, uh, pain to sort of come out of that healthcare space, given that that ETF is about twenty percent healthcare, you could certainly see that one kicking along. So certainly, Qual and Moat would be the two that I would be looking to. Yep. All right, Henry, did you want to add anything to that? Uh, not really. No, the Whisperer has done it again. He's done it again. He's done it again. All right. Well, let, let's stay with it then because we've got another ETF. Andrew, I'll lead off with you. Uh, it is the Global X Robo Global Robotics and Automation ETF, otherwise known as Robo. That's the ticket code. Uh, he invests in companies that stand to benefit from that adoption of robotics uh, and AI. There's the buzzword for you, buzzwords. And uh, valued, uh, well, the, it's... It says, when I look at uh, the description here, the global robotics market valued at more than 23 billion in 2020, forecast to triple to 74 billion by 2026. Andrew. Yeah, I mean, that's all really interesting, Andrew. But as you know, you've sat here with Henry and I now for three years. And every time a company says the addressable market is, <laughs> you know. Henry yeah, but it's, it's got AI in it. Yeah. Yeah, Henry and I just absolutely bag it like there's no tomorrow. So I, I certainly wouldn't pay a lot of attention to the addressable market. I think it's probably more around the thematics. And as you know, we're, we're sort of big on thematics. We sort of look at, you know, over the horizon, over the next five, 10 years, what are going to be some areas that the economy is going to be impacted? So, you know, just off the top of my head, biotechnology, cure, cybersecurity, hack, and obviously robotics and AI is a big area. Uh, the viewer has asked for Robo, and certainly Robo's uh, gone okay. I think it's up. My screen's just died in my hearing. Uh, it's up 21% uh, for the year, and over the last five years, it's up 9% per annum. So it certainly hasn't been a terrible outcome. Uh, the one that we use is RBTZ uh, from uh, BetaShares. It's up 36% for the year, but it's really important, very important to note, the reason why there's been that marked out performance relative to Robo is it's 15% NVIDIA. So uh, if uh, you're worried about NVIDIA's valuation, uh, then you would absolutely run a mile from RBTZ and you'd mm. sort of go back to Robo. But in our world, uh, we still like NVIDIA, even though it is in nosebleed territory. Uh, so in, in the context of the thematic, certainly on board with surgical robots, industrial robots, drones, AI, you know, everything in that space. Yep. But our preference would be for RBTZ over Robo. Okay, Henry. I've got to say, the whisperer's done it again, hasn't he? I mean, I, I would echo his very thoughts. For me, um, Robo, I mean, it's a great theme, you know, uh, global robotics, etc. But when you look down the list of the companies, there is only one in the top 10 that I've ever heard of, which is Rockwell. I have no idea what AirTac does, Intuitive Surgical, Hexagon, Cardex. I mean, a wise man once said, if you don't understand something, don't invest in it. So um, for me, you know, this Intu Intuitive uh, Surgical, th that is the future of being in a theatre where you won't have It is, but I don't know that these guys the are the best. Robots. I, I think, you know, I've seen uh, TV shows where they're, they're using, you know, robots to do surgery and they're even dialing it on the internet. You know, they're, they're being able to do it remotely, which is... Revolutionary. Revolutionary. But I have no idea whether Intuitive Surgical is going to be the ones yes, that are going to win from that. that. Yeah. So why would I buy an ETF that's got that in it? RBTZ is a far better play, I think. You know, you've got NVIDIA, which has been the big driver there. This one has given you kind of market performance um, from what should be a highly leveraged kind of play 
in the robotics area. So yep. um, I think the RBTZ1 is a far better bet than a robo. I think that's going to rob your money. Um, yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. There are the ETFs right there. Let's now move on to, uh, well, it's uranium production and enrichment, uh, Silex Systems. In fact, Henry, I think I've spoken to you about this before. Yeah. Uh, so it does that uh, in nuclear power, silicon quantum computing, plus cancer therapies oh. as well. Tell us more about Silex. Does it all, doesn't it? Silex, I, I have been a shareholder of Silex for, I think, nigh on 30 years. 30 years ago, this stock came to the market um, I think it was about 35 cents. And they were talking about the third generation of uranium enrichment. At the moment, all we do is centrifuge, mm. which is highly secretive as well. The whole, you know, it makes Colonel Sanders look like an, an open book and, and Coke recipe look like an open well, book. Well, that's what Iran have been trying to do, haven't they? Iran have been trying to do it. It's highly political. Everybody's got the secret source to spin the uranium into enriched uranium. Um, it's the process hasn't really changed, but it's still cloaked in secrecy, as you can imagine, because you can make weapon grade uranium through this process, and that is probably not a great thing. Silex has, has come up long, long time ago, <laughs> years ago, uh, with the, the third generation of doing it, which is using laser isotopes to uh, to, to basically enrich uranium, and it's mm. been on this path for a long time. It's had a number of iterations. It is close, so they say. Now, I, as I said, I've been a shareholder of this for 30 odd years. I had a lot a long time ago and I sold most of them above 12 bucks uh, and they went for an almighty run and then they came almightily crashing back to earth and I've been holding them just for a little bit of interest ever since. But um, we are coming in theory to the pointy end, but you've got to be patient. I mean, 2028, 2030, we're talking about sort of commercialization. Um, it, it's been such a long road. They've got other uh, sort of uh, arrows in their quiver, if you like, with quantum computing, all to do with silicon enrichment as well. But, you know, again, that's been around for 25, 30 years. I used to go to presentations of a thing they used to have called translucent. Yeah. And, you know, that's morphed over the years. What about um, the medical isotopes? Is that, oh, what are they doing with that? Well, I mean, this, this came out of Sonic. Uh, this this was a sort of a spin out of Sonic. So medical isotopes, it's all to do with nuclear. So, um, you know, medical isotopes is, is part of the package. But its main game is this JV they have with Cameco, uh, which is now the partner they've got in this global laser enrichment product that they're trying to push. Um, you know, it's, it, it's needed. Uh, the US imports huge amounts of its uranium. 95% is imported into the US. 14% of that comes from Russia. And they're not the best buddies anymore. So, you know, there's, there's clearly an alternative. Uh, so this is one of them, but it's just taking such a long time. It's such a political thing. Every now and then it has a run because uranium does, yep. um, and it becomes a uranium stock. They raised some money, that killed the share price. Um, it's gonna be a little bit of a wait. But you're a patient man, Henry. Well, I am, but I've only got about three or 4,000 shares where I had about 80 odd thousand right. at one stage. Okay. So right. I am a patient man, but um, yeah, it's for old time's sake more than anything else. But, uh, you know, they got back down to under a dollar yeah. and they got up to $5.40. I probably should have sold them there, but um, a bit slow. But that's so, so what's your call on it? It's, it's, I think it's a hold only yeah. because... You've been there for so long. <laughs> I've, I've, I've sent it 30 birthday cards. Yeah. <laughs> We're on first name terms with the chairman. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, thoughts? I'm not quite sure how I top that, um, I, which I can't, of course. Uh, look, I think it's a hold, but 
tech, just looking at it technically, I think Henry's covered off all the the background, if I can put it that way. Sort of around that 270, 280 mark is probably not bad buying. It's bounced off there a couple of times. So I note the consensus will be at two, so I'm not quite sure you can call that consensus, is saying $5.60. So that's certainly looking aspirational. It's in the right space, but uh, there's lots of water to go under that bridge. So uh, it's a hold, but sort of 270, 280, I'd be, uh, uh, sorry, yeah, sorry, 270, 280, I'd be a lot more interested, but at this uh, level, it's a, it's a hold. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's now get into lithium. Uh, the fifth stop we're going to take a look at is James Bay Minerals. Look, you combine <laughs> lithium with the name James Bay and eyes light up for those lithium bulls. Uh, Henry, I'm going to start with you. It, it is a Perth-based company, but what it's got... Got a holding of what twenty two and a half thousand hectares of prospective uh, <laughs> lithium projects in the James Bay region, which is in Quebec in Canada. It is. It's a minnow. It's an eleven million dollar company and based in Perth. What a surprise! Um, it is in Canada. They are going for the neurology play to some extent and name. Um, you know, let's face it, James mm. Bay is a hot territory. You've got Alchem up there. You've got um, Patriot Battery Metals with Ken Brinsden at the helm there. I noticed he bought some more shares the other day as well, which helped their cause. It must be getting being very crowded there at the moment. I'd say it's very crowded up there, but there's, there's clearly a lot of lithium up there. Mm. Um, there's a lot of lithium in elsewhere. It's whether it's economic to get it out, uh, whether you can get it out. Something like Patriot has got most of their deposits under a lake. Mm. So they're so going to drain, so drain they're the lake. Have, they're going to have to drain the lake to get to it, um, yeah. which is not impossible, but it will require a, a little bit of diplomacy with the locals, I'd say, to say the least, because the sailing club's off the cards. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, these guys are playing the neurology. They've got 100% interest in one of the uh, exploration portfolios up there in James Bay. As you say, they've got 22,000 uh, hectares, 224 square kilometres, uh, dual aero and aqua. Um, and it's it's a neurology play. It hasn't been listed for that long. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's you know it's, it's punting territory. You know it'll be driven by the drill bit. Um, I to be honest with the way the lithium market is at the moment, every man and his dog is got there. Yeah, and there's a lot of people coming to the party very late, uh, just as the lithium prices has kind of fallen out of bed. I prefer to go big is good, big is better. Um, we saw uh, an interesting deal this morning from Cadelco mm. uh, buying into LPI, mm. uh, which is uh, a pretty interesting deal. I, th- I think this one is, is you know, it's a punter special. So if you highly know, speculative. Highly speculative. If you have uh, access to the driller, if you've got his mobile number, that will certainly help. If you've got access to the assay lab, that will help as well. Um, but otherwise, um, I think I'll leave this one for the time being. And if you're an engineer, get on board. Get on board. Because there's lots of work ahead. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Um, so that that's a no then. Uh, plenty of others to look at in that space. Andrew? Well, certainly, as Henry's been kind enough uh, to sort of um, talk about my um, knowledge, for the want of a better term, with ETFs, I certainly uh, pay homage to his uh, lithium thoughts. So in that regard, I'm certainly not going to go against what he's saying. I'd simply just say that the pedigree of the people involved with uh, James Bay is not too bad. You know, the current executive director and chair of JBY is ex-Pilbara, so they've certainly got runs on the board in that regard. But they only listed back in September. 
uh, and they're in the right space, but there's plenty of work to be done. So to Henry's point, just sit back, wait. I mean, I know today they're down 10% on very low volume, like 20,000 shares have changed hands today. And coming back to that macro piece that we just spoke about before, you know, if Iran was to get involved in that broader Middle East piece and that VIX went sort of 2025, uh, JBY and a number of these other more speculative ones are going to be in the world of pain. And that's potentially when you might look at them and then sort of take a, a view as to whether you should be having a punt. But at the moment, I don't think the risk return is there. So it's a hold. Okay. All right, well, let's uh, round out the first half of the show then. We began with our stock of the day, uh, Satire, the online luxury fashion retailer, uh, with some impressive uh, results. Um, Henry uh, saying, uh, look, there is obviously that that risk just as far as consumer um, stocks at the moment, uh, given the pressures there, and we've seen that with particularly uh, the, uh, the leading luxury goods retail LVMH uh, globally, which has uh, seen its share price uh, fall quite dramatically. Uh, he does have a hold on it. Uh, Andrew calling it an okay business. So uh, not a ringing endorsement, but also a hold. So a double hold there for Satire. All right, the five stocks we looked at to begin with, uh, Biz, Biz Alloy Steel, um, Henry uh, citing low volumes there, uh, very much uh, relying on that iron ore sentiment. Uh, he's more likely to trim it at these current levels. Um, Andrew pointing out the, the chairman owns about 16% of the company, which uh, he is wary of, and EPS is diminishing at this point also. A hold from him. Uh, into a couple of uh, ETFs, uh, Vanex uh, Midcap ETF. Um, Andrew pointing out, screens out the top 50. So uh, you've got to pretty much uh, you decrease your exposure, particularly to financials there. Uh, so no, he, he's not interested in it. Henry has a hold on it. Uh, but also points out the fact that uh, uh, you're not really getting your bang for your buck uh, with that particular ETF. Just as a bonus, we did have a question in relation to uh, what you can get into as far as an ETF is concerned once inflation and those bond yields begin to drop. Andrew's suggestion, uh, Qual and also Moat, M-O-A-T. So once to take a look at that, when that... uh, that play is underway. The other ETF we took a look at was the Global X Robo. It's the Robotics and Automation ETF. Um, Andrew's saying, yeah, look, he actually is the one he'd look at in that space is RBTZ from BetaShares. Uh, holds about 15% in NVIDIA. Um, so I guess you need to be wary depending on which way you think that's going to go. Um, Henry, uh, yeah, would also suggest that play as well. He points out that in the... Uh, the Robo ETF, he hasn't really heard of any of the stocks there, bar perhaps one. Uh, Silex Systems, uh, just in terms of uranium production and enrichment, uh, Henry, well, he's held it for 30 years. He has sold down quite a bit of his holding, uh, but he's still holding it at this point. Uh, he's going to pay off perhaps uh, one day, maybe 2030, they're looking at actually making this all work. Uh, Andrew, similarly, a hold there. And just to rounding it out there, uh, James Bay Minerals, uh, Henry calls it a minnow. It's all about that neurology. Uh, given it's in the James Bay region, a no and a hold from Andrew. All right, let's uh, check out our portfolio, which we're tracking, picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that's likely to watch at osbiz.com. So the updates going into October, Vita Medical taken out. It's waiting distributed between Washington, eight sole Pats and Altium. 1% taken out of each of Karoon, Promedicus and Paladin Energy. Another 1% of cash was spent to add to Camplify 
So in terms of performance, it's 5.15% higher on a cumulative return basis since its inception the beginning of March last year. So keep your requests coming in. Get the call switched on to see what our committee will be looking at next. Well, next on this show, second half, we're going to take a look at CleanAway Waste Management, Symbio, Superloop, Peninsula Energy and Retail Food Group. So let's get underway with CleanAway uh, Waste Management, Industrial Environmental Services Company. Uh, this one picked by Gary. Uh, it's uh, brokers here saying margins are going to recover the second half of FY23, which are uh, underway with an improvement in labour availability. That's certainly been an issue for the company in terms of costs at the moment, trying what tries to improve efficiencies. Henry, clean away. Um, I kind of like this one. Um, it's pregnant with its AGM, which is on October the 20th. There are a number of brokers that are uh, looking at this for a surprise uh, to the upside in terms of its commentary, uh, its AGM. It has been suffering, as you say, uh, but the, uh, the margins are improving. Uh, the COVID effects are decreasing. And also when you look upon its global peers, it is trading at a um, significant enough discount against its global kind of uh, contemporaries, mainly in the US, that it does look quite attractive. As I say, there are a number of brokers at the moment talking it up in terms of that October the 20th AGM. So I think, you know, here we are at $2.40. I think this is a, a modest little um, buy. It would be probably, yeah, I think we'll put a buy on this one at the moment at $2.40. It has fallen quite a, a little way from $2.60. It's not gonna shoot the lights out. Um, it's probably the slow grind higher. But um, you know, certainly if it does record uh, positive comments at the AGM, we could see this pop back to $2.60 without too much trouble. Mm. Okay, Andrew, do you agree? Yeah, look, I, I, we've, we've been curmudgeonly today. So Andrew, I think, uh, let, let's give it a crack. Let's, let's stick a buy on it as well, hey? Oh. Uh, but my only cautionary uh, tale would be sort of backing up Henry that the 20th of October is the AGM. So if you're buying it today or tomorrow, Great, you're getting in before the AGM, but the flip side is that if for whatever reason there's some bad news, and Henry touched on it just before, uh, like lots of businesses, it's hard to find people. Uh, inflation remains an issue. If they come out with downbeat commentary at the AGM, then there's going to be a bit of pain about, but all other things being equal, uh, share prices sort of come off reflecting that. So certainly it looks interesting. The only other comment I'd make is the chair is actually pretty busy. The chair also serves on the board of both Linus and Aristocrat. So again, you know, I think from a governance point of view, we tend to look at how many hats different directors have. And uh, in particular, I mean, there are solid businesses. I'm not suggesting any of them aren't solid, but if you've got three hats on, uh, then that can sort of be a bit of a distraction. So it's interesting to see how they manage their time in that regard. But on balance, let's stick a buy on it. Why not? Why not? <laughs> well, it's one for the investment community to consider then, because that's where it's going, giving you both slapped a buy on it. Okay, let's uh, move on to uh, our sixth stock. It is uh, Symbio. It's a software group. It essentially helps people make uh, phone calls over the internet. Uh, it's VoIP, voice over internet protocol, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, in fact, look, it's received offers from both Superloop and Aussie Broadband. We're going to get to Superloop in a moment, in fact. Uh, that's over the past three months. Aussie Broadband appears to be in the box position. It is doing, doing due diligence at the moment. Um, and if it makes a firm offer, Symbio has indicated that it's to it, it will recommend it to its shareholders. Um, Andrew, 
what you see as this state of play then? Yeah, I followed this one for quite a while. It's the old MyNet phone, MNF, and uh, that uh, was going along quite nicely. And then it's just sort of fallen into a little bit of a heap, as the chart shows. And uh, as a consequence, uh, you can certainly see why both Superloop and now Aussie Broadband are certainly circling. I might add Superloop, and we'll, as you said, we'll talk about them in a second. And basically, it uh, doesn't appear to be re-engaging, so it would it seem as though Aussie Broadband are in the box seat on this one at the moment. Uh, performance over the last few years has been pretty underwhelming. Again, perfect timing with the chart, as you can hear me say that, where it hasn't uh, hasn't done well at all. But as an underlying business technology, I mean, I certainly know here uh, in our business, it's all um, internet telephony and certainly a number of uh, my business clients. That's certainly the way that it's going now that NBN and, uh, and fibre is the predominant source of internet provision for businesses. So the technology makes sense. Companies are being beaten up on the share price. That's why Aussie Broadband, and again, using a predominantly script-based, well, not predominantly, but there's certainly a script-based bid for them in there as well. So at, at this stage, given the corporate activity, you'd, and you know Henry will probably talk in a minute about Henrik, um, Harry Kane and all that sort of stuff, but I, uh, I'd probably just sort of stand on the sidelines on this one. But uh, it's, it's an interesting business, but potentially it's probably close to the end because of that Aussie Broadband takeover. So just hold it then at this point. It's a hold, yeah. yeah. Okay, Henry. Um, this is a candidate for my Harry Kane uh, portfolio. And Harry Kane, uh, for those people that don't know, is is the captain of the English football team and it's never coming home, But um, <laughs> unfortunately. But um, he is a specialist in tap-ins. He's really good at getting in front of the goal and just uh, tapping in from, uh, from close range. And so I like to have these kind of stocks that are under takeover. There's obviously some risk that it won't happen, um, but ultimately you're playing the, the hope that it will happen and you're hoping for a tap-in. Now, this isn't quite a tap-in uh, because it is a cash and script bid. It also is a non-binding indicative offer, the NBIO, uh, as, they, as we, they call it these days. And it has an exclusivity period that they are doing, Aussie Broadband. Three weeks, the clock was ticking from, I think, 29th of September. So we're getting towards the pointy end of uh, when we will see some action. Um, it is a script bid and cash, $2.36 in cash and 0.192 shares in Aussie Broadband. So you can work out the share price. It roughly equates to around what it did when they announced it, around $3.15. The stock's trading at 3 bucks. So in theory, there's 15 cents upside in it in the Harry Kane tap-in. Couple that also with a potential 35 cents special dividend and the franking credits that go along with that. Now, obviously, they're worth more to some people than they are to others. So that does tend to make it more attractive or less attractive, uh, depending on where you stand in the tax cycle, uh, tax brackets, etc. So um, it is not quite the Harry Kane tap-in because it's still um, in the wind. There's still exclusivity going on, due diligence, etc. Um, and there is a script component. So if ABB drops, mm. then that obviously that bid price drops as well. But um, with a special dividend, franking credits, it does look relatively attractive at three bucks. If you're ask, asking for an easy in front of the goal, tap in in tough times, this could be up your alley. Yeah, all right. So while England may not be bringing it home, Aussie Broadband may. Yes. Yes? Yes. All right. So a hold then. Uh, I, yeah, I'd be a hold, but you know, if three bucks if you want the 15 cents and the franking credits. All right. Go for it. Yep, okay. So where does that 
leave its other suitor in <laughs> Superloop, which is our next stock. Uh, picked by Asher, it is also an internet service provider, uh, founded by Bevan Slattery, yep. uh, a name familiar with many. Uh, considered lobbying a higher bid, but then Symbio came along and has since described its last offer as its best and final. Uh, they've basically pulled out of the race. Yeah. So uh, Superloop is now back to uh, its own story. Um, there are a number of brokers, like Morgan Stanley are overweight on it. They're calling it a 90 cent price target in the last report. Um, I, I must admit, it doesn't really excite me much. I think the, uh, the deal with Symbio did make a lot of sense for Superloop. Um, and obviously they've been trumped to that deal by uh, Aussie Broadband. I think at best at these kind of levels, Superloop's probably a hold. And um, I think there's probably better ways to play the telecom sector. But you know, it's um, Bevan Slattery, he can surprise. How do you how do you grow a telco these days? Is it through acquisition or you know because organic growth is sort of limited, isn't it, in this market? Well, I guess organic growth is limited in this market, and that's why Symbio is 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 the target mm. really from from both of these players because it is hard to grow uh, organically. It's highly competitive, obviously, um, and yeah, it's it's probably a tough tough game, especially when you've got big boys out there, lots yeah. of changes as well going on. There's even rumours you know, about TPG, there's mm. the NBN changes mm. happening, um, etc. So there's a lot of moving parts in telcos. I think Telstra um, is still number one, but it's dull, boring and tech in a cardi. But I don't think Superloop is going to be the one yeah. um, for investors. It's, it's a hold at best. Okay, Andrew. Yeah, and just to the Bevan Slattery piece, I don't think the market took it too well last year when he was reducing his holding. So uh, I think he still might be on the register in some regard, but he certainly hasn't got as many shares as what he's previously had. Um, the business talks about turning itself around and certainly the, the chance of buying Symbio would have been a good opportunity from that M&A piece. But as we spoke about before, they've just been trumped by uh, uh, Aussie Broadband. So, you know, negative return on equity, negative earnings per share growth. Um, yeah, I can think of lots of reasons that I certainly wouldn't be adding to my holding. I don't mm. have a holding, but I certainly wouldn't be mm. adding to my holding. But selling it at these levels probably is problematic as well. So yet again, it's a hold. It's a boring hold. Okay. All right. That makes sense, though. Okay. <laughs> Let's uh, crack on to our next stock. Uh, Henry, I might begin with you because you're a uranium bull, aren't you? I think a yeah. bull is going too far okay. at times. I am. I was a bull of Boss Energy for a long time. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there's others in the sector. Boss is uh, on the honeymoon period, literally. Yeah. Uh, they're coming into production with honeymoon. Um, this one, Peninsula Energy. Yes. Well, it's it's uh, what it's developing a production plant to produce high quality yellow cake, essentially. Yes. In uh, in the U.S. in Wyoming, the Lance yeah. project. Um, not massive market cap, only 160 million bucks. It is the largest US uranium project, which unfortunately sounds very, very fancy. But unfortunately, there aren't that many uranium projects in the US, so it kind of does stand out to some extent. Um, it has been a higgledy-piggledy ride for these guys, and it does tend to coattail on the back of uh, Paladin, Boss, uh, deep yellow, and then we start going down to Peninsula Energy. Uh, it's certainly got potential. Uh, they're bringing back production there. Um, they've got cash. They've got uh, no debt. Um, it, it, and they've got a 
you know, conducive environment in the background where the US is, is, is I mean, everybody is. We're all, mm. you know, everyone's trying to get this well, security, except Australia. Except Australia. Mm. Um, but everyone's trying to get critical metal security, critical mineral security for the, for the next, for the new age. Uh, there's obviously a lot happening in the nuclear sector at the moment in terms of baseload power. We've just seen an agreement between France and Germany uh, about nuclear power in uh, Europe. Um, it is an evolving space and it gets pretty excited from time to time. Hmm. Uh, I think this one is probably a speculative buy around these kind of levels, 11, 11 and a half cents. As I say, it does have its day in the sun, but um, you know, just be careful that you probably don't want to keep... These are, these are for trading, these uranium stocks. You, you, know, you, you buy when they're weak and you sell when they're strong. You, you buy low, sell high. Um, it, it's one of those. But um, Lance looks interesting. It's getting there. Yep. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, it is going to be a function of the uranium price. Uranium price up 40% for the year. So obviously that's super impressive, but it's actually pulled back about 10% recently, 73 bucks uh, back into the 60s at the moment. So Henry's yet again right in the context that uh, if everyone's loving uranium, this is potentially a way to play it. But if the uranium love was to abate, then, uh, you know, given the fact that they're not actually producing anything until, was it late 2024 at the earliest, uh, you know, cost pressures, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a hold. Okay. Let's round it out then with Retail Food Group, um, owner of franchises such as Gloria Jeans, Brumby's Donut King, uh, Michelle's Patisserie and Crust Pizza. Um, brokers saying business generating positive like like sales growth even as the peers its peers are turning negative uh, I guess once again it's a question of this discretionary spend too but there are two sides to that story as to whether in when the when consumers pull their belts in tighter whether they actually eat more of this rubbish oh did I say that yeah um, or uh, or less uh, Andrew <laughs> so how do you rate it then are you sort of asking about my waistline? Are you asking? No, not at all. I, mean, I don't know whether you visit any of these um, particular franchises. Uh, and only because I'm married to a fiscally responsible accountant. Uh, you know, it's not a dietitian, the, uh, right? Not a dietitian. So, uh, and, you know, there's the, yeah, the monthly accountability on the credit card statement. So, you know, if I sort of, um, a, a, I can't even think of some of their brands, but if, you know, Gloria Jeans or whatever the case was to pop up on there, there'd be a couple of hard conversations to be had in my household. But in all jokes aside, um, they've had a very, very, very rocky road uh, relating to their relationship with uh, franchisees. Uh, there was certainly some uh, negative uh, media publicity with them for a few years back. The company is sort of saying they've now put that behind them and they've got processes in place and things are great. As you can see, though, the share market perhaps doesn't share that view from a financial point of view, down 12% for a year and down 36% per annum for the last five years. I think the market's probably worked up a few things, as you just spoke about before, consumer discretionary in an environment where, what did I hear this morning? 40% of people in New South Wales uh, 40% of New South Wales uh, wage earners' wages goes towards mortgage 
payments now. Mm. So in other words, mm. that 60%, are you going to be racing out and buying coffees or pizzas or patisseries or whatever the case may be? So certainly that's an issue. The other thing, of course, is just trying to find staff. So, you know, you certainly want to, want to stick Henry and I sort of behind the coffee machine or have us in a sort of baker's attire or anything like that. So well, you can, but it probably wouldn't end so well. So you've got issues on both sides. You've not only got demand issues, but you've also got issues relating to sort of the, the, the quality staff to actually help deliver that service. So on those two bases alone, I, I certainly don't want to be there. I mean, it'd be silly to sell it given what price damage has occurred, but it's certainly not a buy at these levels. Yeah, I mean, how, how would yeah. you compare this, for instance, with Collins Foods, which I guess is, is similar in that regard? Oh, mate, that's that's like comparing grapes and watermelons, you know, like if you... Uh, <laughs> you're you're talking, talking healthy food, that's wrong. Yeah. Well, yes, but, you know, you, I think, Henry, just before we spoke about, you know, Colonel Sanders and the uh, 11 secret herbs and spices, oh. uh, Collins Food is a quality business uh, that is in doing incredibly well. It's got a few levers to pull as well. Um, I think one of the issues with Retail Food Group is they've just got too many choices. You know, they've done all these different brands and Bella Coffee and not, there's nothing wrong with any of the brands, but from a management point of view, trying to deliver this sort of omnibus, uh, omni, omni-channel solution, whereas Colin Foods is pretty simple. You know, you've just got a couple of brands that you're dealing with. So, I mean, if, if you're of a mind that fast food is the way to be, and I have to say I'm not quite sure that's actually the view with people cutting back their consumer spending, but let's pretend that was. Yeah. You do columns every day of the week. You certainly wouldn't be doing retail food group. Fair enough. Henry. Shut up and take my money. (laughs) I think that kind of sums up. It's basic. KFC does good ads. They do good ads. When was the last time you saw an ad from retail food group? Any of their um, brands? Uh, Yeah, no. Exactly. Um, And that's part of the problem is that they have been constrained uh, with high debt. Uh, which they have sorted out. They have a new management team, a new CEO and a new CFO. So that's probably a tick in the box. They have got a whole variety of brands, you know, Brumby's Bakery. Um, I guess the the jewel in the crown, if that's the right word, is crust pizza. Mm. Um, That's actually a decent pizza. I've got to say, as a pizza snob, and I am a pizza snob, if you're going to eat carbs, you might as well eat good carbs. Crust is okay. Yes, it's it's not bad. Compared with... The other the ones, other one? yeah. <laughs> the other brand, which I'd rather eat the box. Yeah. Um, sometimes you sometimes, can't tell. Sometimes you can't tell. But um, yeah, so you know, you wouldn't be selling it here. They have got a new team, and you'd, if you were a, a long-suffering shareholder, then you'd want to give the new team the benefit of the doubt. If you're coming to this afresh, it's you're punting on the new team delivering. As Andrew says, there are a lot of headwinds in terms of. In terms of the uh, discretionary spend being pulled back, some people would argue that um, you know buying a cappuccino is not a discretionary spend; it is a it is a necessity of life. Um, however, buying the cake that goes beside it may not be uh, discretionary; it may not be a necessity. Uh, there's also the azempic effect. Yes, I was going to mention that. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, we don't. I mean, you know, we know how that's affected. ResMed, but just in terms of well, fast food and CSL and fast food, yeah. you know, you would think that would fall into a, a similar category. Um, and we haven't heard much from McDonald's or, or KFC or these kind of guys or even Domino's um, about what effect that's having. Um, but certainly, you know, it, it's potentially if everyone's going to be on this drug mm. um, and it's going to make us all beautifully thin and uh, be fantastic for our health as a side effect, then. 
these stocks will suffer. For me, this is, you know, if you've got it, you hold it because you want to give the new team the benefit of the doubt. If you're coming to it afresh, it's a speculative punt. And, you know, it's had its day before. I would probably be punting elsewhere, to be honest, um, in this kind of um, harsh interest rate environment. Fair enough. All right, let's uh, sum it up then. The second half of the show, we began with Clean Away Waste Management. Um, Henry saying, uh, likely to surprise to the upside, um, a modest buy. Um, Andrew, also a buy, but pointing out the AGM is on Friday. So uh, do you want to do it before then or not? It's your decision. But nonetheless, double buy means our committee is going to take a look at Clean away waste. Uh, Symbio in the telephony space, or um, some, it's a it's a telco with the operating VoIP. Uh, it's um, Aussie Broadband making a play after Superloop dropped out. Um, Andrew pointing out has had an underwhelming performance, particularly as far as share price is concerned. He's got to hold on it. Henry also a hold. Um, yes, so one to watch there. So. We also looked at Superloop, the other suitor, which has since dropped out. Uh, Henry saying doesn't excite him. Uh, Andrew wouldn't add. It is a hold from both on Superloop. Peninsula Energy in the uranium space. Uh, Henry, a specky buy, uh, but he said those uranium stocks are for trading, so just beware. And um, Andrew pointing out uranium prices up 40% this year, has come off about 10% since. He's got a hold on it. And Finally there, Retail Food Group, uh, no from Andrew, not really interested, and Henry, uh, he also has a hold on that one. All right, that is the show for today. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can go to uh, osbiz.co forward slash callpix or tweet us at osbiztv. So thanks to our guests, Andrew, DP Wealth Advisory, great to see you. Andrew, always a pleasure, and Henry, see you in a few weeks. <laughs> Henry. Thanks for joining us, Marcus, today. My pleasure. Thanks, Andrews. Stay with us. The Pulse is up next. <laughs>